my health, part of my core identity. It's not something I play at. It's not something I dip in and out of. 365 days, I wake up thinking about it. Hello and welcome to episode 113 of the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur podcast. This particular episode is going back to one of our lives that we conducted, myself and Lauren, with our amazing panel of business owners and entrepreneurs over the lockdown period of 2020 and 2021. We conducted an interview with Andy Thomas. He has been in property for almost 20 years, has got a growing portfolio, has an educational business with his business partner, where he's helping other people then learning how to invest and what to do and not to do within the world of property. Very inspirational, very blunt, very funny. I'm sure you will have lots of learnings and moments of light bulb switch-ons throughout this episode. Sit back, relax, turn it up, remove the distractions, enjoy. And as always, please do leave us a review. Let us know your feedback and relate back to us on any of your social media platforms how much you enjoyed this episode and what it actually gave and provided to you. We can then continue to keep offering the value and continue to deliver on the areas that matter the most to you. Welcome to this evening's Lockdown Live with myself, Helen Williams, my lovely business partner, Lauren Brady. And we have the great pleasure of welcoming Mr. Andy Thomas from Blue Oak Property Network. So thank you for joining us, Andy. My pleasure. Hi, girls. My pleasure. This evening, we're going to be giving Andy a bit of a grilling, really, I think. I think we're allowed permission to do that. We've yeah, got, well. It's not having much option anyway, because we're going to really? do it. <laughs> um, but we, we want to talk all about your property investing, what you do with Blue Oak, who you work with, a few insights. And what I expect from you, Andy, is nothing but the truth. Uh-huh. If that's possible. I know, obviously, from following you on your the work community, which Andy does go live in every single day as well, which is great to see. We're a huge fan of that because we started with the lockdown lives over on Instagram and then started streaming over multiple platforms to welcome more people into the party, really. But yeah, I know what Andy shares within the Blue Oak community is very, very insightful. He gives, gives so much knowledge away, so much value and a lot of fun along the way, but he what I what I really like about you, Andy, with it is that you you tell it how it is, and that's exactly yeah. what myself and Lauren's like. So I yeah. expect nothing else but that from this evening. But just to give any of our followers and listeners a bit of insight into Andy, first and foremost, before I let Lauren loose on him, my sleeves rolled up. I'm ready. I know. Yeah, I'm sure Andy's ready as well. Oh, I am ready. And Andy, you've been in the property industry for, for the last sort of 20 years or so. I know you've done over a thousand property transactions yourself. You've got experience as long as your arms, which long and wide. And <laughs> I just believe that obviously for anybody that's looking to get into property, new into their journey, or just genuinely interested in yeah. business and investing from a truthful, insightful point of view, they will benefit from what you've got to share with us. So 100%. let's go at it, team. No holds barred. There is nothing um, off the table. I'm, I'm laughing at our, our intro. It sounded like something out of an American movie. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. Yeah. Put your hands up on a Bible. Yeah, and all the truth. We're not the Bible, though. Don't worry. No Bibles, no Bibles. So Andy, I mean, obviously I've not met you in no. real life or in Zoom life in person no. yet. Tell us a bit about sort of your background. Where have you come from in business, in being self-employed, in running a property network? What's the backstory? 
Yeah, so it happened. I got into property kind of by accident. I had a, uh, I'd been sort of working sort of in sort of retail from when I, when I left school. I went off and did a few years in Greece. I'm going to say Greece. I'm not Falaraki because it sounds better. And <laughs> it was a great island. It was beautiful. Oh, my God. Best two years of my life, hands down. Like, it was amazing. So I came back from there. I was like, right, I can't stay for another season. I need to do something with my life. And I knew that I always knew I wasn't going to get a job. I kind of knew from a very early age that I was unemployable, really. I was a good employee when I was employed, but I always knew that I was going to head out there. So I'd worked in retail, so I thought, I'll, I'll get home and I'll start my own business. And I was living in Southport at the time. I thought, so I started. I opened a ladies' clothes shop because there was five men's shops in Southport and only one ladies' shop. I thought, well, I'll just do a ladies' clothes shop. I was like, so I did that. So I opened a ladies' clothes shop. Off I went, pictured someone who just, this was before Google Maps and everything else and just running around London trying to find these showrooms so I could meet these guys and pick women's clothes for a clothes shop yeah. back in Southport. It was chaos. You had but, no fashion background. Like it wasn't a case of, I mean, I'm sure you had a good look in Thalaraki on the strip. <laughs> <laughs> are, we ba- are we basing Warren? your fashion know-how on, like it was just purely, I see a need in the market. There's no clothes shops for women in Southport. I'm going to go yeah. fill it. It was that. It was just, it was a, a an emotionless decision. It was just a business decision. I was just like, I stand more chance of making money with a ladies' clothes shop than I do with a men's because I know about as much about men's fashion, do about like, just because I wear men's clothes didn't make me fashionable. So I was just <laughs> kind of just, just, I'm very ready, fire, aim sort of thing. And I've always have been. And I just kind of, went went out and off off I went and when I did it I had worked in clothes shops so I had worked I was like been the manager of a couple of clothes shops in Southport so I had that experience but yeah. what experience is that folding and clothes tell me, Andy did any of your like family members run businesses where was this entrepreneurial confidence or spark from had you yeah. seen other people running the show for themselves good question like and do you know what no my father did have a a news agent in Liverpool when I was very young and it was just yeah it was a news agent in Liverpool and it was, he had like penny sweets when penny sweets were a penny. And he had newspapers, Roy the Rovers and all that. And also had top shelf magazines, which kind of formed the basis of my sexual education. So when I was very, very young. So, yeah. So, so there was that, but it was never like drilled into me. It just, yeah. I just knew, I think I just, I knew from college, really. I did business studies at college and the teacher one day just asked a question of the class and like 22 people answered it differently and they were all right. And I was like, that really stuck with me. And I don't remember much about my childhood really, but that stuck with me. And I was just like, there's something in this. It just made me think that you just, if you're passionate about something, if you pick a product, we all answered about what business would we do. It's just like, yeah, that's right. That bit's wrong. I was like, so hold on. So I can go out and run my own business, be my own boss. So yeah. that stuck with me from like a late teenager, whatever age you do to be business about like 16, 17. But even before that, I had the lemonade stand, I was washing cars and all all that usual stuff when I was a kid. But yeah, there was no one really around me. My mum worked her heart out. My dad was a joiner, builder. He had the news agents for a time, just working. My brother, very, very hardworking guy as well and seven years older. So I actually had that visual aid to work off, if you like. So just watched him work very hard as well. So no, good. I don't know where it came from, but I just knew I just wanted to be my own person. So that's where it came from. So, Do you yeah. want to know a really weird coincidence? So cool. my parents ran a, a newsagent's card shop when I was born. So oh, I was really? born into a newsagent's... I don't know if I've ever told you that, Helen. It was called no. Cards and Candy. Only for a couple of years. But mm. same thing, like, I think one thing that 
so many people when you meet them and they go, I can't really explain this entrepreneurial thing, but you've yeah. just nailed a couple of things here. Work ethic. You saw yeah. your parents work and graft. Yeah. There was a couple of seeds planted in your early like adolescence. But then you, you joked there and when you made reference to going abroad to work, but I'm guaranteeing you were working on commission in Greece. I was on commission and I worked the owner, the Saki. I, I was the only person really on that island that worked for the same family for two years. Everyone else was getting sacked and moving jobs. Saki fell in love with me because one, we were we were selling fish balls, but fish balls take up loads of ice. So we'd be selling them, selling them, selling them. They'd do them and then we'd, just, we'd run out of ice and everyone's coming in complaining about the ice. So I was like, we're only out, we run out of ice because the fish balls are taking them. Saki yeah. caught me in the back one day emptying the residual off the fish bowl into the sink and putting the ice back in the ice pack. Oh, yeah, no. I mean, can you imagine that, right? I'm prob- I am probably started COVID way back then doing that. No wonder everyone was ill on that. Disgusting. Yeah. I used to wash the straws and put them back in and Saki was just like, you are my brother, that's it. So, yeah, yeah so it was that. But I always had that thing in my head. I was like, how can I make this easier for everyone? But absolutely, yeah, 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 100%. So I've always had that oh. sort of... In the, so uh, what, what was your first step into property? You know, when Helen was saying you have a thousand property transactions under your belt, yeah. I mean, that blows me away. What was the first step into property? Yeah, so it was off the back of the clothes shop. I had the, the ladies clothes shop and that was up and running, doing what it was doing. And it was actually making money, but didn't have to make a lot of money back then. I was still living at home, didn't have any bills. So it was it was making money and it was enough for me to, to get by and do whatever I was doing back then. And then a friend of mine came to me. It was just like, you have a door that I was doing sort of quite well. The new Mini Cooper, blah, blah, blah. And a clothes shop, brilliant, classic. And he came to me, just said, have you ever thought about property? I was like, no, never, don't know anything about it. So he puts this beautiful brochure in front of me. And he was just like, well, look at this. And it was an off-plan apartment in Liverpool. I was like, ooh, pretty, gorgeous, like marketing material. So I did the math. The shop was costing me 18000 a year in business rates. I had to be there every day. I had about 22 part-time staff that I didn't need because I just gave any girl that came in the shop and asked me for a job a job because I'm stupid. So, so I had all that going on to deal with. And I was go down to London and buy all this stock that was selling, not selling, all that yeah. going on. And I thought, and this, at the, at the time, property prices were just going up. Yeah, we're talking. 2003, 2004. For. property prices were going you didn't know what yeah. was coming then so I took all the money out of the shop and I bought my first property which was an off-plan apartment in Liverpool and that was it but then so I closed the shop down I didn't close it someone else took it over and I, I sold it but it just meant that they finished the lease off for me they just took over the that, like the unit but then I had no job no savings no income and a mortgage impending ready fire aim as always and yeah. probably so, a self-mortgage back in 2003 as well right I think I got it with a blockbuster card, yeah. just my own signature. Crazy yeah. back then. It meant mental. So I needed a job, and my friend had a mortgage company in Southport called Hamilton Mortgages. He gave me a job. He said, look, why don't you come in here, train to be a mortgage broker, and while you're just working in the office, processing the mortgage, it's mind-numbingly boring. Do you see my qualification? I was happy. Sold like 15 grand a year or something like that when I was just doing my CMAT qualification. From there, I just I was learning the house buying process, and the lad sat opposite me was Rich Cowling. He'd been in for about a year and a half, been qualified, had a little portfolio. I was like, oh, I've just bought a property. He's like, oh, yeah. So I showed him it, and he was just like, what have you done here? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I've bought properties. Have you actually done any like due diligence? I was like, done what? Due diligence? <laughs> Can't even spell it, pal. I was like, what are you talking about? So he did. He was on the computer tapping away. The rents in that building don't even cover your mortgage payments. And I was like, what? He's like, are you going to manage it yourself? And I went, no. And he went, he said, right, it's going to cost you about 350 quid a month. Have you got that? And I was like, no. And he was like, right, come with me. So he marched me into the office, into Nick's office. Nick looked at it. He laughed even harder than Rich did. And he went, leave it with us. 
leave it with us. <laughs> Two weeks later, called me back into the office, said, good news, we've sold the flat. I was like, sound, how much do I make? I'm like, you don't make anything, you get to not go bankrupt. I had to pay the investors legal fees. So it cost me in the end, I had to borrow two and a half grand off my dad to just get out of that that property. So that was my first experience of property, which wasn't a great one. From there, I had to, then I decided, well, it's probably, I don't want to do that again. I wasn't yeah. put off by it. I was like, let's learn before I go ahead. So I was in this office and we we weren't just a mortgage company. We were bringing in, we'd go out and find sites. We'd package up the sites. We'd sell them. Back then, I didn't realize what I was doing, but I was packaging deals. We were bringing investors in. We were bringing letting agents in, or not like estate agents in, writing the mortgages for them. And it, it just transpired that by the time I qualified as a mortgage broker, that I was better at going out and winning the business for the company than I ever was sitting across a desk and writing, filling in paperwork for other people. So I did that. So he made me the BDM of the company. So I was going out and I was bringing in deals and then I was bringing in the investors. I was mining them up and then I was writing some of the mortgages. And it was just, you couldn't miss back then. Lauren, like you just said, it was self cert It was Birmingham Midshire's Mortgage Express. Yeah. It was chaos. It was absolutely, looking back, it madness. was madness. Well, looking back, I honestly, I cringe at how bad it was. We were sending the underwriters flowers and bottles of wine just to get oh, deals. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> honestly, right? It was madness. But, and I was doing really well. I was, I was earning great money from doing that. I was on commission and stuff. And Rich, uh, sorry, Nick was just, yeah, you need to, you're a crap mortgage broker. Just go and do that. So off I went. I was out just bringing in money for the company. But I was still making other people rich. I was watching all these other people make money. What I know now was false money because of what was coming, 2008. And then I went off and I just sort of thought, well, I know how to engage with mortgage brokers. I know how to raise money. I know how to find investors. And my dad's a builder. So I started looking for deals for myself. So, so I started you, going out. you had a little mini apprenticeship. The way I'm hearing this is you were always, I love that saying, that's get ready, fire, aim. You yeah. weren't terrified. You lost money on your first deal because you, you weren't detail oriented <laughs> to, to put it put it politely. But then you started watching people do it, make all these moves and thought, I'll have a slice of that. Yeah. So then 2008, 9, 10 came in. Yeah. We can we all know what happened in those years. Yeah. At that point, did you ever think I'm just gonna walk away from property and I'm just gonna leave it over to for someone else to do? Or was that actually the making of what propelled you forward at that point? Yeah, it definitely was because when when 2008 came around, when the recession came, we had uh, we'd built up an unencumbered portfolio. So we were going out. The first house I bought after when my father was with over four credit cards, so for for cash. Wow. So I bought it for twenty eight thousand pounds. My dad did the refurb. We flipped it on and made some money. We repeated the process. So we were just self funded, just self funded, self funded, self funded. And the model was we'd flip three, four, keep one. The funds of the three or four would fund the one. We just kept doing it, kept doing it, kept doing it. But our exit strategy was taken away when 2008 came along because uh, no one, the banks shut the doors. So we couldn't sell to first-time buyers, next-time buyers, or anyone else. We could possibly sell to investors, but the margin wasn't quite right. They weren't going to buy a fully a full-price product off us when they could just go to the auctions and get it 40p, off, 40p on the pound. So there was no margin there. When the recession came, I was, me and my dad had to shut up shop, as it were. We just stopped doing that because... It just wasn't worth it. Even though there was cheap stock, we didn't have enough collateral in the bank. We didn't have enough money in the bank to go out and, and just repeat the process because we didn't have the exit strategy. We were going to run out of money. Just said to me, Dad, I said, look, just sit tight. I'll figure something out. So I just started going out and sourcing deals for cash-rich investors. I knew how to, I still knew how to source them. I was really good at that. And they were just paying me sourcing fees, 3000 5000 pounds. So I went out and did that through the recession. <laughs> that was good fun, really good fun. Idiotic, really, because... I thought I was smart because I was everyone else was going pop and I was earning money. 
I was like, I'm smart than everyone else. I'm earning money here. But what I should have been doing was accumulating assets at 40p on the pound. Instead, I was more concerned about the £3,000 and work, how quickly I could spend that in Ibiza. Yeah, it's that short term. And it's funny because I don't know. I'm guessing here from the timeline you've given me from Falaraki to you see Matt Mortgage Broken Apprenticeship stage to yeah. here. You're early 20s now, right? Yeah, I was 28 when the recession came. Yeah, you know. so you're having, you know, like I say, at that point, you're like, you're, you're income, your fixed expenses are low. You're able to live at home with family. You don't have dependents at this stage, I don't think. So you've got, mm. no. <laughs> so you've got a couple of grand a month coming in and it's yeah. like the rest of the world's in quite a tiresome state at this point financially. Yeah. And I'm, you were like holding on to it. My, so best, what my, my best month was 28 grand. I, I took 28 grand in sourcing fees one month. No one with the hand on my shoulder telling me what yeah. I should do with it. I was just like, Ibiza villas are on me. No fucking yeah. problem. I was just having fun. I was newly single. Bruce moved to Manchester. Wild horses couldn't have made me do it differently. And I, I don't yeah. regret what I did, but I look back and I kind of regret what I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, is it a sunk cost fallacy? But okay, let, let's fast forward them for people who, I mean, brilliant to understand this because now we're getting the grips of like who yeah. you are, your character, what's brought you. How have we got to this 1,000 properties? What happened in between 2010 and 2020s? So a lot of that was soaked up in the actual transactions that I did with Hamilton Mortgages. Then it was all the deals that we did for my father and stuff, which accumulated to a lot. Then what I did was I found creative strategies. And, about, and by creative strategies, I mean a lease option contract. Someone showed me a lease option contract at the back end of 2009, beginning of 2010. And the lease option contract, what I took from it was, it was just I could control someone else's property with having to buy it and bearing in mind i'm coming from a buying stuff for cash mortgage background even though i'd never actually used a residential mortgage up till this point because i've done everything for cash mm. and and then i thought this so i can go out and control people's properties just with a contract and they were like yeah people that gave me the source weren't the most reliable people in the world let's just say that and <laughs> so I, I thought well i'm gonna get this checked so i took the contracts i read through it cover to cover read through it again and again highlighted the bits i didn't understand and i went to three different sets of solicitors and i said look is this right is this a legal thing or it's a bit light the contract but in essence it's right if you can get a, a vendor to sign that that piece of paper you can control their property and i was like done so, so from a rocky property point of view so i know obviously yeah. helen's got years of experience in it i've got a little bit what what does that mean like if, if we've got people watching this now and they're like what's this lease contract yeah. what does it mean so a lease option basically means you have the, the option to buy but not the obligation the seller has to sell. So when they enter into this contract with you, you agree a purchase price, £100,000, and you agree a term for the, prom the, the the contract. That could be three years, five years. The sweet spot's normally about between five and seven years. And that purchase price is fixed for that time. So you have to do a bit of due diligence and make sure you're not overpaying. You maybe want to allow for a bit of capital gain so you, you sweeten the deal for the, for the vendor. And that fat price is fixed. Any gain over, any capital gain over and above the £100,000 is yours to keep. Now, you, you can exercise the option at any time either by buying it for the price agreed. So if it's worth 130, 140, 150, you're buying it for 100. If you, what you all can also do is reassign the option, which means you can actually sell it. So if you sell it for 150 and you've agreed 100, everything over and above 100,000 is yours to keep. So, so that's it. I ran with that. <laughs> I really, really ran with that. And back then, no one else was doing it, really. Yeah. There was a few people doing it, but not like it is now. You can just throw a dart out your window. You'll hit someone selling a rent-to-rent -rent lease option course. And back then, I was just – people look at me like I was inventing fire for the first time. And it was just like, you can't do that. I was like, no, we really can. And bearing in mind, we're, we're coming out the back of the recession – 
there's still a lot of pain. 2009, there was still a lot of pain. The banks literally did not know how much debt they had in the market. They were trying to crystallize mm -hmm. the losses. They didn't know. And it was just landlords, literally. And so I just, what I also did is I genuinely, and I genuinely did want to help people. That was always a driving force in my, in my life. And I genuinely wanted to help people. I was like, I've got a solution here. They couldn't sell the properties because they couldn't sell them because they were upside down because they'd done the same day mortgage express remortgage thing. That's on them. And at the same time, giving them back had a massively long, long lasting effect. But I had this other solution. You don't have to sell them. You've got no money to fix them because these portfolios were in tatters. Because what I was finding was portfolio landlords. First portfolio I took on was 44 properties. Bear in mind everything I've done from 2004 up until 2009. Now I'm just bringing in portfolios, 44 at a time, 30 at a time, 22 at a time. What I did for them, and which was very unique, and I don't know anyone that's ever done it since, but it's probably not been in that situation. They didn't know how bad it was. They didn't know how bad the portfolios were. So I just said, right, just give me the information. Give me the spreadsheet. Give me the contact details for who's got the keys. I'll tell you how bad it is. And I literally just got in my car and it took however long it took, two weeks. And I drove around every property, knocked on every door, spoke to every tenant, spoke to every letting agent, put a schedule of work together for each property, went back with a file this thick. I went, there's your portfolio. That's where it's okay. That's where it's crap. That is where you're hemorrhaging money. There's the solution. If you want me to do it, we can do it. And they were just like, take the keys. They literally couldn't give me the keys quick enough. So yeah. I was just bringing portfolios into my portfolio controlled with lease option contracts and then i was having to go and fix the problems the first thing i did i was just fixing the ugly ducklings i went straight for the ugly ducklings and i fixed them brought the portfolio up so it was cash flowing made sure the vendors were then getting a, a profit where they were actually recognizing a loss before i came in they were happy the portfolio was still in negative equity but at least they were just treading water and yeah. i was just taking the income for as long as we could and just until the market turned. So I just started doing that. And I just got, you help one portfolio landlord out, they tend to know other portfolio landlords. And that's what I was doing. And took my own portfolio up to 134 properties, just doing that exact model. And I flipped at, the, at its peak. I'd, I self-managed a lot and I had 26 HMOs within that because I, that's the other thing I started doing in 2010 was HMOs. So I was looking at these portfolios, knackered single lets. So I was like, that's got three bedrooms and two lounges. That's a four-bed, five-bed HMO. So I was taking yep. this, agreeing a £150 payment with them, and then renting them out for £1,200, £1,300, paying the bills, and clearing £800, £900. So it was chaos, you know. And it is chaos, but clearly you were doing stuff that... The things that popped into my head here, Andy, as, as you're talking, a couple of things. Number one is you can see where your mindset shifted. You were solving problems. There was... When you look at these portfolio landlords, and again, really interesting, I've got lots of family who've had property portfolios. When things went rough in that period... Yeah. We see this myself and Helen with lots of clients, whether it be in property, in any business, it can be very easy to just want to get under the covers, not look up and not want to look at the numbers. And you came in and went, give me the keys, mm -hmm. give me the contact details. I'm going to go and find out how bad this has got. Yeah. Then you offered a solution, but you, you mentioned something in the very first thing you told us that you said you did things without much emotion. Yeah. So you you want to you do care about people. That's very evident from what you've said. You're not trying yeah. to just make a quick buck and rip anybody off. Far yeah. from it. But you were emotionless and that you were like, let me get the figures. Yeah. Let's get the facts. Let me tell you what the solution is. Yeah. But then when you were able to look at these houses and multiple occupancy, yeah. you could just see things clearly because you were detached and taking a step back. Do you think, yeah. Is that fair to say? 
that's fair to say. I think there was there was a slight bit of an emotion in it with the with helping the port. Bear in mind, I was I was financially, I was doing really well. I certainly wasn't driven by money at this stage. I was driven by something else, and we'll probably swing back to that in a bit. But I generally had, a, I knew I had a solution for these people. I was like, I know I can help these people, and I took a massive risk. Not a massive risk, but the risk I took. There was no invoice for my time. There wasn't. I'm going to drive you. There's there's an invoice for the last two weeks for me putting this. Yeah. They could have just looked at that and gone, thanks very much, Andy, and gone away. That was yeah. my risk and my what, but I was putting, I was betting on myself that uh, when it came to that point and I presented it to him, first first of all, I'd often, I made, I'd made myself valuable because I was offering to do something that no one else would. I was willing to go around and talk in all the properties. And then what I had to do is just make myself invaluable. I just, if he's done this, if he's done this, gone to this much detail, he's not even asked us, we've not even discussed money at this point. It's just like, what else can he do? It's just like, there was no way anyone was going to say no. I was, you know what? Even if he did, my way of dealing with that was I've helped them. And I was willing to do that because just doing that SWOT analysis on the portfolio, which because they just did what you said, under the covers, not interested. I was like, I'll do it because I'm emotionless to this portfolio. Yeah. I'll yeah. do it for you. It's not pretty. It's not easy to read, but you need to read it. Yeah. sort of things so oh, you can ask yourself i can see helen's chomping go on i'm sat here listening to it all as everybody is at home as well it, it sounds amazing and extremely extremely impressive and you've said obviously that you didn't have anybody with a hand on your shoulder by the sounds of this it's all very self-taught and yeah. you just kind of took action and said yes and figured the rest out after kind of approach yeah. to things where did you fuck up andy come on because this all sounds all though it were has gone swimmingly and that it's all gone oh, really well yeah. It's far from gone swimmingly. I've done deals with people. I did. I did one deal on trust, and I trusted the vendor, and I had investors from London. They handed money over to the guy, and the guy walked off with the money, and he was just take me to court. It's going to cost you that, and you know I had to pay back seventeen grand. I've made so, 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 so many mistakes on the way. I, fa I failed my way through it. I grew too quickly. I got it to 134 houses without any real system. I lost sight of my why along the way. I was just, and that was the thing I touched on before, Lauren, in that I lost sight of that passion to help people. Right. And I, yeah. then I was just, then I got addicted to the accumulation of houses. I thought having more houses meant more success. And mm. then it got to a stage where I just, I had this portfolio and it was, I was empty inside. I'd hit, I was doing, by this point, I was doing my affirmations and I was doing, I had affirmations, but I didn't have a goal. My goal was, I'll take that house, please. Give me that house or give me those houses. But there was no why attached. It was all what and how. This is what I do. This is how I do it. There was no why attached to it. And I just had this massive peace inside. I can't explain it. felt empty. And it, it's not something I would wish upon anyone. And I was looked at myself. I looked at the portfolio. It looked fantastic on an Excel spreadsheet. But it's just I just didn't want it. I just literally did not want it. I was like, I am miserable. I am absolutely miserable. And it had well, so what changed that for you then? Because now I know from the success you've had personally and your property network, you are a completely different voice of mindset and, and the way that you look after yourself and the people around you. What was the changing point? I could say in the numbers, in the income, in the acquisition stage, what changed? I think I, I realized that a, a lot of it was on luck. <sighs> I don't want to say that. I work, I outwork everyone. I do. No one will outwork me. That'll be true. I don't care what age I get to, I'll outwork. I don't care. I'm 40 now. Give me a 20 year old and you just won't compete with me. And there was that. So the harder you work, the luckier you get. I get that. But I still knew there wasn't enough. There was no finesse. There was no financial intelligence behind it. It was just me grafting. Yeah. And, and just being 
pretty good at sales. A lot of people say I'm great at sales. I don't think I am. I'm good with people mm -hmm. and I'm good with sort of understanding people and just listening to people. I, I think I just listen and I, yeah, I stick at things longer, I think. Very, very patient and I do stick it. Some would argue I stick at things too long, yeah. but I think, I, so I, I knew what I built was, well, I looked at it as well. And it was built on a, a house, it was built on sand, really. Mm. There, there was no real solid foundations there. You know, I, I looked at it, I was just, it's 134 properties, but a portion of them, a lot of them were lease options. I, the, the massive portion of them were lease options, rent to rent. That's with that landlord and there with that landlord. That's coming up in three years and that's coming up in, oh my day. I was like, it was too chaotic. And I got to the stage where I, the, the portfolio had outgrown me. I didn't know about systems. I didn't know about, I wasn't financially educated, even though I had that much money coming in. I was, it was, and by the way, I had a lot of money coming in, I had a lot of money going out, and not just on what I was spending. The yeah. portfolio was, yeah. oh my God, it was 10, 15 grand a month just on maintenance. It was bedlam. And the properties were all over the country and I was self-managing them. It was nuts. I had a PA and I, I can't, I wish, oh, I wish I'd documented <laughs> it more. Fate fully like inverted into this portfolio i, I was the the viewings clerk the yeah. bed dresser i was we took out of the equation the business didn't have any structure or systems we're, we're here talking about property investing but your mindset yeah. andy is different now so yeah. that emptiness that not having that ongoing what am i doing this for every day changed for you but then you've done a shed load of work like i say on your own education your own habits your own mindset so Take us through how that all happened. I mean, you're saying you made a lot of money, but I know, yeah. I, I can only assume you've invested a lot of money in yourself as well. And as coaches, yeah. me and Helen are always like, best asset you've got, make sure that you're yeah. investing in you. How did that journey yeah. look? I wanted to be, I knew I was strong, I knew I was mentally tough, but I wanted to really explore where I could take this. I started on the self-development thing sort of back in you know, 2008, 2009. And I kind of dabbled in it and saw things working and I started doing affirmations and stuff like that. And I was like, there's got to be more. And I think it got to the stage where what a real sort of breakthrough moment for me was just sort of when I, I realized I wasn't I realized I wasn't in competition with anyone else. And when I came away from that, a lot of my self-education, by the way, I've not really spent a lot of money on it. I've what I've done is just studied. I've just mm. studied and read and listened. I swapped house music for audiobooks and whenever I was training, I was listening to audiobooks. Everything stopped. The, the TV stopped. Everything stopped. And I just wanted to see how far I could take it and see how far I could take myself. I got very curious about the human human mind and about how strong the mind can be and how how that controls everything and it, it's been a fascinating especially the last five years four or five years have been fascinating you know, with the stuff that's been thrown at me and it's i'm trying to say a word that's not been used by some other person you know unshakable unbreakable whatever god yeah. bless love, we all love tony robbins and stuff but to be at a stage where it's just i don't care what you can throw at me i'm good I'm I just yeah. like, I'm go I don't care. There is nothing. I'll I get scared, stuff like that. Sure, absolutely. But ultimately, I know I'll find a way through it. Yeah, it's been it's it's amazing and it doesn't stop. It's every day. Yeah, like, yeah it's every day. And I look I'm obsessed with it. I'm obsessed. I don't want to say I'm 40. I just feel I'm actually getting stronger and better and generally excited about being 60 and doing triathlons and stuff. Even yeah. though I've not done a triathlon, but I will do triathlons and Ironman. Just that's yeah. where I want to take it because I know it's I know it's up here. So I, I think I could keep talking to you and asking you questions about property, but let's let's maybe look at it a different way. You've just mentioned there about your health. And so as a someone who, again, me and Helen can identify, we talk about this on our socials and podcasts all the time. We had a great time in our 20s. Actually, I think Helen was healthier than I was. I was 
probably a bit more where you were, Andy. I was like, mm -hmm. take it to Ibiza, off we go. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the but then for me, it was my early entrepreneurial steps when I was just like, if food didn't get arrived, delivered, hadn't been deep fried, the air of hydration was Luke's aid after a session on the Saturday night, going to the gym, can't say it was something I entertained very much. But I can see now not looking after my health really affected my mental clarity, then my energy, and then that bounce back stuff that you said, like, give me anything, I'm all right. So I know you're someone who takes your health seriously. How is yeah. that? How does that impact for you on business? How do you see that with other property investors or other entrepreneurs when maybe they, yeah. they don't look at their health as an important part? They look at it as, I'll do that later. It's everything. My health, part of my core identity, it's not something I play at. It's not something I dip in and out of. 365 days, I wake up thinking about it and it's everything to me. The transferable assets or skill sets that I've taken from Health this that I've put into business, and it's an endless ROI. And yeah. I can't champion it enough for everyone. I'll, I train every day. I will train every day day even if it's just a 10 minute hit workout i'll put my weighted vest on even if it's just that everyone's got 10 minutes because it's not really about i'm not trying to be on men's health magazine it's about what it does up here i don't go running because i want to get fit i run because i get 45 minutes to myself it's like meditation for me running and i come up in my notes section on my phone so i'll i'll just stop that's all notes that i make from running i'll just come up with ideas and ideas and ideas most of my lives that i've been doing is in there the lives that i do for blue is in there because I'll be running, I'll be listening to audiobooks, I'm just getting inspired, I'm thinking of ideas, I'm stopping, I'm typing them down. That is everything. It's not about me wanting to get fitter or wanting to run an ultra marathon. That'll come. It's about what it does to this. Because yeah. if I see rain and snow and sleet, I was just like, and everyone else is bedding down and turning up logs, I'm putting my trainers on, I'm going out. I don't care. 10 o'clock at night, I've got a head torch. Archie, my dog's got a collar. Let's go out. I want to do it because no one else is. I love it in the park. Got a head torch. Archie's not got a head torch. No, 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 no. I don't. I don't think it's fair. But I want to give him a fighting chance with the squirrels. So he's just got okay, a little. Yeah, he's, I've got. He's got to catch one one day. Even though I love squirrels, but he'll never catch one. He's dead. I've got two dogs. Uh, the oldest one now. She, she's at retirement age, and I still shit myself because I think she gets so close to these squirrels. Like I'm like that's to get into the squirrels. I'm like, go. Oh, she's gonna get you. She's got you. They're too clever. I love too clever. Okay, so health we've touched on a bit. Helen, I mean, I feel like I just chat to Andy here. I'll finish off with my question, Helen, and then hand it over to you. Property gets this sort of halo effect on it where people go, I'm going to whack that into my little biography. I'm going to be a property investor. I'd love yeah. to get into property. You've told us there some of the real stuff. Buying houses on credit cards, flipping things, making great money, losing 17 grand because you didn't have a contract and you had to just pay someone because you lost almost 20 grand. Yeah. What would you say to someone who was starting in property or who's looking at it, listens to you and is, I mean, it'd be hard not to listen to you and think, this is a bloody great idea. This guy's inspiring. What would you say to someone who's in that mindset now and wants to get into this industry? Yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of people out there selling unicorns and rainbows. And it is not, it is, drives me mad. It, it, it is a slog, 100%. There are no shortcuts. There is no inside track. There is literally... It is work. You've got to do the work because I guarantee there'll be someone out working you. And you've just got to, you've got to understand. It is, you, people say, oh, you've got to focus on one strategy. It's just, you have to have multiple skill sets if you want to survive. And you've got to also know that it is a long game. We talked about before, short term, got to have delayed gratification in property. You've got to get your head around that because it is a long game. Yes, you will have wins along the way, 
collect them, but don't you've got to think further than five minutes in front of your face because mm. people talk about exit strategies and I look at exit strategies. Okay, well, what's your exit further down the line? Well, what do you mean? Well, what if you get ill or family member gets poorly, you need to raise some cash or whatever? Can you sell that? Well, I don't want to think about that. And then you're going to fail. You might not, but you're going to fail. If people don't think, they just think they want, oh, I've done a property, tick, let's do a selfie, put it on my social media. Yeah. It's like, you, you can't, it's not that. It's not that. It's so, so deep. Every property you own is like owning an individual business. You've got to treat it with that respect. It's not a collective. It is a collective business, but each property has a potential to just go sideways. One bad tenant, one bad leak, one boiler going bang, whatever it is. If you've not done it right, it could break you. And it can be done, but just do the study and just think long. Invest in decades, not quarters. Mm. Got to think long term with it. That's all. Brilliant. What I would say is all the stuff that you need, all the education that you need on property is out there for free. Yeah. If you know, if you know where to look, 100%. I was going to say, the next thing they should do is probably join your property network and be connected to people like yourself. And I think, how many people are in your property network now, roughly? Just past 4,000. Crazy. 4,000 yeah, entrepreneurs learning. Like I say, it's not about the selfie and the ego trip. I'm sure there's some of that. There is in every network, isn't there? But it's, yeah. it's about the, the learning and the grafting and being around people in that, right? Yeah. That's why I get on every morning and I try not to talk about, of course, I talk a little bit about the stuff that I'm doing, but I try and get on there and sort of just tell it how it is. Just tell them yeah. that I'm fucked up. I've made mistakes. I'm imperfect. It's okay. Because that's a community I want to create. There's other communities that what I don't do in that community is treat the people in there like leads. Other communities do. And I don't do that. I treat them like, I treat it like a family. I am genuinely committed to helping as many people in that community as I possibly can. It's a full-time job. It really is. But I'm very, very committed to it. Yeah. Why, why do people go wrong, Andy? You said about you can throw a dart out your window and hit somebody who's selling rent to rent or something like yeah. that. Where did things change in that respect? Obviously, because you said that when you started out and you, you saw the gaps in the market and you saw what you could do and how you could help people and how you could leverage and things like that. Yes, there were external aspects about the market and lending that came yeah. into things. But why is property so popular? Is there, would you say, a misconception that it's a quick book and yeah. that it's one of those kind of egotistical sectors yeah. to be in? Yeah, it is, 100%. There's, there's people out there selling false economies. Right now, still to this day, people selling false economies. Really, it's selling, selling strategies that I really don't think people should be selling because it's instant gratification. Like strategies, they work, but... It's not as simple as that. It, I think people see it as like, I'll sack my boss and I'll get into property and it'll generate income. Just like, yeah, but you're going to be self-employed. You're going to be an entrepreneur. You're going to be a business owner. You're going to be managing staff. Are you managing tenants? Are you prepared for that? Because if you're not, seriously, just keep your job. Find another way to I think property is going to make them happy. What you need to work out is what makes you happy and then do property. Let property fund your passion. Fine. Don't, don't think that property is your passion. I go into property because I'm passionate about property. Why? What in property is to be passionate about? Tenants not paying. Section 24s, yeah. the government changing. The, the, there's nothing really in, in property to be passionate about other than the fact it might give you a financial reward. That can't be your why. Financial, because it'll never be enough. There's got to be some kind of why and passion attached to what you're doing. If property is funding that, maybe you want to go and build, dig wells in Africa or build schools or whatever it is, fine. Use property. That's your why. But property can't be your why. You know, I get it. There are some people out there that want to design grand homes, but 
of that, there's probably 1% people out there. Other people are doing it because they're, they're probably too lazy to go and get a job and they think property is easy. Uh-uh. It's harder than any job, like 100%. And that's good. I'd rather work 70 hours for myself than 40 for someone else. That's fine. But as long as people know that, but people think they're going to sack the boss and all the money's going to be automated and the tenants are going to pay on time and everyone's going to be great. It's not that. Anyone tells you that is lying. 100% lying. Yeah. So, it, it doesn't sell the same, does it, though, to give the truth? <laughs> you know the reason I can say that? Because I've got nothing to sell. I've got Blue Oak Academy. Fine. Talk about that. I don't even want to talk about it. But literally, I've got nothing to sell. I've done every single strategy in property. I'll teach people it for free. I don't care. I don't care because I'd rather people... But here's the, the caveat to that, girls, is that people listen to the stuff I talk about every day and went out, they'd make money. But people don't. They write it in the pad and they get motivated for 10 minutes and they go off and do something else. They go, in, they go off and look for the next shiny penny or the next, oh, God, that, God, I don't fancy doing working 20-hour days for six months. Okay, don't. But surely that's the mindset part of it, though, Andy, yeah. that obviously presents everything together. You can, you can be motivated, even if you did look at the bricks and mortar aspect of it and the, and the income strategies of it as kind of like a vehicle to move you to where you want to be. Surely it's the mindset then that solidifies everything together. Yeah, I really think just some people just aren't willing to make the sacrifice. They're not willing to give up. Everyone's had to give up weekends with the mates and going to the pub and going to watch the football. Everyone's been forced. I think that's why I really have not been affected by because I've made every sacrifice. COVID came along. Really, my life hasn't changed much. I was like, I've given all that shit up anyway. So it was just like, you know, I haven't really noticed it. And I don't mean that in a very disrespectful way. I know there's, there's a lot of people have been affected and I'm trying to my best to help affected people in any way that i can but i just do think that when it comes down to it, people are like i'm not i'm just they're just not willing to to make the sacrifices that are required to go full-time performance related entrepreneur and just go and do it scary scary notice the difference though with people's approach to that and wanting to develop and strengthen yeah. the mind within lockdown yeah 100 yeah. percent. yeah we doubled down in blue oak we went some points i think we would i think one week we did 15 15 webinars in one week just on mindset and accountability and set up programs to keep people on track and so many people came up paul came up with a program for everyone peak performance and everyone said they was just like that got us through lockdown this is like the first lockdown when no one knew what the hell was going on now it's just like eh, yeah. god but first lockdown we're not allowed to go out what so we were just like, right, well, we're not going to sit still. We can go online. Let's come up with a program and give Paul his due. I mean, he knocked it out of the park with people. It was incredible. It was like webinars at 7 o'clock in the morning, you know, webinars at night. We had a full talking about affirmations, accountability, gratitude, what you can do, setting tasks for people. Everyone was just like, thank you for that. We just didn't take a day off. We literally did not take a day off through lockdown because we were like, we're going to serve this community. That's what we said we were going to do. And we're going to keep people on track. And it was tough. My God, it was tough. But I'm so glad we did it because now we have a family there from off the back of it. Growing daily and that's evident to see. It's, it's fantastic. So do give Blue Oak Property Network a, a follow. And yeah, guys. Um, do a grand, grand job. And it's a great community to be part of. I just want to wrap a couple of things up here. Lauren and yourself touched upon it a little bit when you talked about health and it is quite an intense subject matter, but yeah. I think it's really, really valuable that we mention this because I know you're extremely humble and we've gone from top shelf magazines, we've gone to Valaraki supping fish bowls. Bottom um, shelf magazines. Basically poisoning everybody with reused ice. From spending money up the wall and pimping it out in Ibiza on Playboy mansions. 
<laughs> and everything in between from all your learnings, the education, everybody that you're helping, the number of property deals that you've done, the money that you've won, the money that you've lost. And obviously everything that underpins that, which you're extremely passionate about is mindset. And you've just mentioned about your mindset and the application of your health, the fact that you wait your best on and you go out running in the dark, et cetera, et cetera. Again, you was very humble about all that, Andy. There's mm. more to it than that. Yes. Can you share a little bit of that with everybody? I'm going to apologise, but I'm not, because I think this has got a punch behind it. Yeah, so I'll track it back a little bit. I knew the Ibiza thing, it stopped being fun. And I knew and I was I was kept on doing it and I just wasn't getting the same kick out of it. And so I wanted to stop. But when you're the court jester in the middle of all that, it's hard to step away. You know, I wasn't on the outskirts watching it. I was in the middle of the room. Well, waking up fresh is something else. And that really cemented self-development. So I was able to study longer for harder, get more done. And it was, it was like Andy 2.0. Then I started doing dry quarter and that really sort of freaked people out really pissed people off and just like well you're not drinking till april i was like nah definitely not then one year i was just like i'm just gonna carry on and i just stopped they're just what you're never gonna drink i'm like nah stop being fun i can't explain it either support me or don't but i'm still the same person if anything i'm a better friend because i'm real and it's not this all this false bardo sort of thing even though i love a laugh of a kitchen and talk going through the alphabet with everyone 100%, but I'm just, I'm shutting the door on that. I'm not going anywhere. I'm still your friend. I've achieved all that by being the court jester. I want to see what I can do if I take that thing that's holding me back out of my life. So I took drink, everything, all that out of my life. It was tough. Toughest thing I've ever done, but there was real growth on it. And you don't know tough until you've been to a wedding in Ireland and not been able to drink. When your favorite drink is Guinness and there's a free Guinness cart at this freaking wedding. <laughs> you don't know tough until you've done that. I know I'm, I'm joking, though, obviously. You know, I am really joking. But it was crazy. And I got a call from my mum and dad. Didn't, you know, it didn't sound right. Dad's got cancer. Anyone's ever had that news, it just hit you like a, it hit you like a ton of bricks. But, you know, getting that news when I was sober, clear, focused, not drunk for a good long while, I was just like, okay. And then right then, I was, that's it. Decision made. I'm going to be the guy that if this goes bad, I was already prepping. If this goes bad and this takes me dad, I'm going to be the person that's going to be stood there amongst all the chaos. People can look at me. I got it. It's like, I've got this. No problem at all. You can rely on me. And I'm going to just get everyone through this. And I made that decision there and then. I know I wouldn't have made that decision if I'd have been drinking. I'd have been under the duvets, hiding, avoiding the topic. And instead, I just faced into it. I was like, right, we're going to do this. So we had a year of that on my dad. Forgot that he's the toughest man I know. Dad died when he was 15 and he had to leave school and look at a job, look after his mum and his nan and be the breadwinner at 15 years old. Anything you think we know about mindset, forget about it. He's just, he just had it. It was forced upon him. Thankfully, he had a gastric tumour. He had a nine-hour operation. He had his entire stomach removed and somehow clung on. And he rung the bell on his cancer a year, almost a year later. That was in the October, a year later. Yeah, it was, I mean, he lost six stone. It's the first time he ever looked like a pensioner. Six foot four, 19 stone. And then he dropped and he was just like, I've dropped to 13 stone. I was like, nah, you divvy, you're just the right weight for your height now, you idiot. You've just done a, like a very extreme diet. You can joke about it now. So that was in October. So we got through that and I was, I was so grateful that I would, for whatever reason, no, Archie, you're not squeaking that thing now. I was like, for whatever reason, made the decision to step up that, the strength I got from doing that was, I can't describe it, from actually just making that decision. Because I know 
that Ibiza knobhead wouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. He just wouldn't. He just wouldn't have stepped stepped up to the plate. So that was in the October. All through that year, I'd been going to see. I'd had a lump in my neck, and I'd been going to get. And he said, "Oh, it's nothing. It's a cyst. Don't worry about it." I was like, "All right, don't. I'm not worried. Don't really worry. I've got bigger things to worry about." And then it just got bigger. <laughs> this thing got bigger in my neck. I was like, "You know that thing you told me not to worry about? It's growing. It's got bigger." So they got me in to December. Called me over to Wakefield Hospital. Harry and Charlie. I've got two sons, Harry and Charlie, and I just thought, well. I'll do a driver. I don't take my kids to the hospital for days out. So I was like, I'll do over. I'll go for this quick appointment. because so it was just, they'll go in. They'll give me some news and stuff like that. So I took Harry and Charlie with me. They kept us waiting for uh, like 50 minutes. The boys were being amazing. Guys, I was like, it's no disrespect for you. I can see you're busy. I was like, but I've got to go. I just need to feed the boys. And they were like, you need to go. They dragged someone else out of the appointment. They're like, got to go. They're like, you need to come in. I was like, ah, it's a bit weird. So they got me into this appointment eventually. So Harry and Charlie are swinging off the, the, the roof. But they're just like, we got it wrong. It's cancer. So I was just like, like, I can't even describe that feeling. It's the weirdest feeling. Anyone who's ever had it personally or otherwise, it, it levels you. It absolutely levels you. And I'm just looking. Harry and Charlie are in the room with me. They shouldn't have been in that room with me. And then everything starts going through your head. Everything. Have I done enough? What have I done? What is this going to mean? What? How long have I got? Who's going to raise them? Shit you don't want to think about. It's just... Hard to talk about, yeah? Hard. I'm holding it back right now because that was an emotional, emotional day. Just because they were there, I think. Looking at them, they're they're everything to me, those two. And it's just looking at them. And I had to, on the way out, I think I had to go and give a blood sample on the way out. And I'm walking out, holding one, like holding the hands, just walking out of the hospital. And just all these thoughts going through my head. And what does the portfolio look like? And enough, what am I leaving behind? It's just this, what? Why me? Why me? Why me? And I'm like, God, it's just, it was not good not good and i was in the car driving back and going through all this negative shit in me and luckily i looked in the mirror saw the boys in the back of the car and they don't know what's going on they're just oh, the color of the sky the way they do and then i caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror i was like what are you doing i can't change that news there's nothing i can do about what that guy just said to me i can't unscramble that egg it's done the only thing i have control of right now is how i react to it that's it i've got to i can't let the external affect me internal i was like just get on with it whatever it is if this is the hand you've been dealt you've got to go you just go all out because i'm going to go out the way i came in kicking and screaming this is an opportunity and then i realized you know what look at what i've just been through i quit drinking i stepped up to the plate for my dad i'm now going to do it for myself everything i've been through for that i didn't realize had prepared me for that moment and i was just able to sort of say okay, I'm going to get through this or I'm just, it's not going to win. Even if it takes me, it won't win because I'm going to leave a legacy so strong that I'm going to leave an example for people and just thinking, Jesus Christ, that boy kicked back. So I just, I knew then I was just, I was didn't, I didn't care. And I was just like, I'm not going to let it own any headspace. It's going to own no real estate in my head. I'm going to push on and I'm going to get through this. That was in the December. I went back for more tests in the January. I went in for surgery around about the 13th of Feb. So I had to have my entire thyroid gland removed and a nine centimeter tumor from a neck removed. And that was on, yeah, so that was on like the Wednesday. It kept me in on the Friday I got out. On the Sunday, I came over to York for a meeting. On the Monday, Tuesday, I turned up for expedition and I had, I had people to mentor. And I'm like, 
this is an opportunity. I feel fine. Yeah, I've got a cut and I'm cut and I'm bleeding, but I feel fine. I feel fine up here. I've got every excuse now in me. No one blink. The guy I'm taking a week. No, this is an opportunity. I'm at the front of that group, Blue Oak. I've got 20 odd people to mentor. This is a chance. I'm going to, if I can do this, then I'm going to leave them with no excuses. So I was like, I'm going to turn up. It's like, you can't turn up. I was like, of course I can. I'm going to turn up because. I'm going to prove to you that it doesn't matter because it's all in here. You can t- I can turn up. So I went and I did it and took a bit sore in places. I was meant to have a wicked scar, but you can't really see it. It's fading now. I'm gutted. But um, I did that. And then on the Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this was mental. I will get emotional over this bit. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we had the Blue Oak Big One. And when we were putting the Blue Oak Big One together, which was a two-day event of content and a black tie gala dinner, we had a raffle. Way back when, before I, like when my dad was ill, they said, look, we're going to give away. We're going to raffle off prizes for charity. Do you want to pick the charity? So I phoned my dad. I said, dad, pick a charity. He said, McMillan. I said, cool. So I picked McMillan. My dad had got the all clear a month later. <sighs> my dad had got the all clear a month later. I went and then we raised like 18,000 pounds for McMillan. Everyone's looking at me thinking it was for me. I already picked, I'd picked this randomly. I got my diagnosis two months later after I'd picked McMillan. And it just so happened I was sitting there a week out of cancer surgery, just raised 18,000 pounds for McMillan. I can't explain that. And that was all with the Blue Oak community. There was people coming up to me. The, the, the friendships I forged that night and within that community and the people that I've gone through that entire process with that community. And it's just, that's why they're a family to me. And people coming over to me saying, oh, tell me about the, the family and friends that have been affected by it. And I said this in a post, I was the right man for the job. I was the right man to get that diagnosis because I knew I could use it to just inspire people. And there was the messages that I've had, the private messages that I've had from people just sort of saying, you've really helped me. And mum's just got poorly and mum's just being diagnosed. What do I do? I'm like, you do this. This is what you do. You, you turn up. You do the job. that you, you turn up. You have to do the job that no one else wants. You have to turn up and just do it. It's not pleasant. It's not nice. It's the shitty job, but there is the strength on the other side of it. And that's it. There is no book you can read. Life gets you stronger. You want to get braver, that you'll just look, you've got to look for opportunities to be, to be brave. And it's just life will give you opportunities to strengthen your mindset. You've just got to make the decision to step up and do that thing that you don't want to do and do that thing you're scared of. And those last two, three years, still ongoing. I've still not had the all clear. Do you know what? show you the letter if I could get it just had a letter from the hospital and they've just basically they've not given me the all clear but they basically said that my bloods have dropped it's a thing called thioglobulin in your blood which is your protein in your blood that's like it's dropped considerably really well but they're still monitoring something in my neck they don't know what it is but they're, they're just being overcautious they just get a little bit excited about things so they just could be something it could be residual but it's still there and it's just but my mindset is just not got the all clear yet. It's looking that way, but the hospital just won't, they won't tell you that. But it's just, it's always there. I don't care. Whatever it is, it's an excuse for me to get stronger, to push harder and to use it as a reason to inspire people. And even if it wins, it won't because I, I've done everything I possibly can to set an example and leave a legacy that's bigger than money in the bank or anything like that. That's what's more important to me. So, yeah. Thanks. Amazing. Right. Mm. It- 
honestly so so inspiring and i had to ha- ask you that and dig a bit deeper on it I because it's all the, i nearly i nearly cracked then i nearly cracked a couple of so times I, I didn't know any of that yeah Jesus, Andy. I, I couldn't just skip around the whole health thing and the, the thing without actually then exposing that. And I know you talk about it openly mm. and you, you don't sit on your pity potty at all. But mm. when the word mindset gets used, it gets badged around so, so much. But then stories like this and how you demonstrate yourself and present yourself every single day and still look to inspire other people as you're going through everything that you're going through, you put everybody else first. Yes, you look after yourself and you have your daily non-negotiables and you have your routines. Oh, yeah. Make sure that you're all right. You make sure that your boys are all right and that, you know, all of your business entity and everything else is, is fine. But you put so much into other people. And I just think the mindset uh, element of all of this with your experience and, like I said, what you're going through right now is just the epitome of what it really is. Thank you. And I think there is something in there for everyone. To helping people is just the best thing you can do. And there's, there's real strength in that. If you want to strengthen your mindset, give back and help other people. It's You can do it every single day. I, lo- I just want to help one, one person a day. It's dead mm-hmm. simple. And I try and do it every day. And that's why I, that's why I show up in Blue Oak every day, because mm-hmm. just in the hope of doing I get If I just get a little private message saying, you helped me this morning, if someone sees that and the investor sees it or it sparks her to just get out of a comfort zone, it's worth it that's a worthy cause and that's a cause worth pursuing for me for sure yeah brilliant we're gonna wrap this up Andy, I've got a nosy question how's your dad he is yeah still here alive and kicking telling right. shit jokes getting everyone's name wrong yeah he's they live in italy so they're back in italy they moved to italy oh, uh, back in 2008 9 so but it's a shit show now because of brexit it, they can only be there for three months at a time so they're coming home but that is their home they've, they've been back they were back at my brothers for like a year and a half back in south Pole, saying my brothers they've gone back and now they've just got they're gonna have to come home for three months and then go back for three months it's just like ah so yeah but he's he's good he's he's good. Right. he's, he's right. tough as old boots bless him yeah but yeah no stomach work that one out no. it's a pretty big piece of kit that like but yeah just just getting on with it just get something in the uh, thomas jeans maybe yeah. Maybe. Oh. I haven't even told you about my mum yet. Jesus, she's another level. Yeah. Well, that's another day then, Andy, because we could yeah. all night. Me and Helen have always joked that we're going to have at some point a dad's interview podcast. Yeah. And we're definitely going to put your dad in the bucket of that podcast. Yeah. Hopefully one day when we can all be in person again, we'll all be at an event. Yeah, we'll we, come to we can bring the dad on stage. Oh, God. I'm just thinking about yeah. my dad on the right. microphone. It was just... Uh... <laughs> No, like the camera will be like this. He'll have his hand over the camera. He'll be messing around. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. I'm sure you will all agree that Andy has shown a lot of insight into him as a person and him as a, a business owner as well. Shared the ups, shared the downs. There's been the laughter there. There's almost been the tears. Struggled then. Whoa. Still got it. Still feel it. <laughs> Good man. It's the mindset. It's the mindset. I love it. But key takeaways there is definitely the fact of it's the work ethic. You said that nobody will outwork you ever and that nothing will win because you will keep on every single day doing what you're doing and what you you do best. And it is the long game, absolutely everything. It really is. Your business, for your happiness, for your fulfillment, for your health, everything is the long game. So that's been a a fantastic takeaway there, Andy. I've really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, girls. You're very, very good at what you do. Very, very good. Awesome. Your community is very lucky to have you. That's all I'll say. Well, we look forward to being in touch with Blue Oak and all of the all of the community over there the coming weeks and months and years. So thank you again. It's been a fab one. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, girls. Honestly, thank you. Bless you.
Take care. Thanks, everyone. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening, guys. We hope that you enjoyed that and hope that you resonated a lot with those personal experiences there. If you have any questions about coaching and how you can benefit from engaging myself, Lauren, or anyone from the HEW team on a personal level or within your business integration, then do not hesitate to contact us via the website, which is www.helpingentrepreneurswin.org. Look forward to hearing from you. As always, if you've enjoyed this, please share it to any of your Instagram stories on social media, leave us a five-star review or come to us directly with any of your feedback, comments or queries. Have an amazing day and thank you for being our listeners.